Hey, we're glad to have you in church this morning. Thanks for coming. However you got here, whoever invited you, uh, we are an eight-month-old church here in Chautauqua County, and we believe uh, that God is doing something new here. Uh, we have great love and respect and honor for the churches that are here and the people have gone before us, uh, but we do feel like God is doing something new. We feel like he's doing something simple. Uh, he's doing something that's an invitation for us to get into. And so I never grew up in church. I always envisioned that if we led a church one day, it would be a place where anybody could walk in and experience God. And I was talking with a college student uh, this week. I was on campus. And if you didn't know, Fredonia is back in session. And so just kids everywhere. And I was talking to one person and, and uh, he was telling me that he practices Islam right now. And, you know, he's exploring different faiths. And he started telling me about a moment in his life that he felt like, something dark come into his room, you know, so demons or whatever, we can get into that. But he said, you know, I, I did all the Islam stuff, but the darkness, I still felt it. And I go, really? And he says, you know, and I used to like hook up with a girl that like was a Christian. So I just thought, well, maybe I'll just cry out to Jesus. And I said, in Jesus name. And all the darkness left. And I said, huh? And so he's hungry. He's asking questions. He's like, you know, so if I become a Christian, do I need to like stop doing all this stuff? And and that conversation I had is a great example of the kind of people that walk into churches. They have questions. I've been in churches where it's like you ask a question. It's like, God forbid you ask a question. I just want to let you know at our church you can ask questions. We want to see you explore faith. We want to see you get to know Jesus intimately. For me, a church isn't like where you come all put together. It's where you get put together. Amen. This is where you come with your stuff and God does his stuff and you leave pretty better. And so however you got here, we're glad. Uh, he took some time with us, all right? If you got your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 8, though, for today's message. Uh, last week, we started a collection of messages on glory. We've been talking about this word glory. How come Christians say it so much? What does it actually mean? And today, I, I, I want to go to the New Testament to see something uh, about some messiness that got turned into a miracle. If you're new to our church, welcome. We love the Bible here. We love it. It's better than me preaching my opinions, better than me preaching my feelings, better than us going with what we think feels good. We go to the scriptures because the scriptures are the one thing we have certain. You know, everyone's got an interpretation of something today, so we at least like to start in the Bible every time we gather. And uh, my pastor taught me how to preach. He said, if you don't say anything good, just make sure you read some Bible. You know, make sure you just get the Bible into people. Matthew chapter 8, when you have it, say, I have it. Need a second, say second. If you're a raised Catholic, uh, this might be the gospel of St. Matthew for you. If you're uh, a Bible guy, this might be, you know, the, the, the theology of Matthew. If you're just here today, let's just call him Maddie. And we're open up Maddie's book today, all right? And let's see what he's got to say. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Here reads the word of the Lord. It says, when he came down from the mountain, this is Jesus. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. And the leper said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded to them for a proof for them. I want to draw your attention back to verse 3. In the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, the Bible says that Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I will be clean. And immediately, someone say immediately. Yeah. 
immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Uh, I want to title this message today, Glory from the Dirt. Glory from the Dirt. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Thank you for your peace that's in the room. Thank you for your spirit. Your stillness is here. For the next few moments, we kind of rid ourselves of anything that's distracting. We forget about the bills. We forget about the things we need to accomplish today. We think, forget about the, the concerns and, 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 and the stuff that we need to do. We just take a moment. And we ask you to make the Bible real to us today. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. You may be uh, seated. You're already seated. Turn to someone and say, <laughs> some of y'all, just stand up again. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is our uh, second week now of doing two services as a church. And there was an incredible moment last week where in between services, uh, we had a couple individuals that were asking questions about Jesus. Now, this for me as a pastor is always a fun place to be because you never know what kind of question you're going to get when someone says, hey, I have a question. And so I've had questions about, you know, do dogs go to heaven? I've had questions about, you know, uh, should we pay taxes? I've had questions about uh, marriage. I've had questions about homosexuality. I had questions about drug use. I mean, I get all the questions in the world and I welcome them. And I love them. And I was talking to somebody recently that asked the question, does God know what I've done? Now, the easy answer, of course, is pretty simple. Yes, because he's God. And if you are a Christian today, you know that one of the foundational beliefs of a Christian is that God knows everything. The, the, the fancy term is uh, uh, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He, he knows what's going to happen. He knows why it happened. Some people think, well, then he's the one that did it. And I'm like, no, not true. To have an awareness of something doesn't mean you're the one doing it. Are you with me? Uh, I, I got diagnosed with cancer at 21. And I can't tell you how many people I met that said, you know, God gave you that cancer to get your attention on him. And while that might sound good, isn't that kind of a shot at God, though, that he puts cancer on people that he loves? Isn't it kind of odd when we say, why did this happen? And we go, well, God must have a better plan. Isn't it odd when someone dies for us to say God has a better plan? Because in that moment, we don't see that plan. And what I've noticed is because we live in a fallen world, we live in a sin-filled nature, naturally, life isn't going to go the way we want. I was talking to this student. And he says, does God know what I've done? And I said, yes. And he said, well, how come you still have that sign that says you are loved, even though he knows what I did? Have you ever felt like that before, that maybe you're not qualified to receive God's love? Like typically, this is something we do when someone says, uh, I love you, we automatically assume why. Or if someone says, I love you, and you know that person, you don't think why, you just think they love me because they've taken the time to truly know me, and they know everything about me. And it's like, once someone sees you in your darkest moment, isn't it like there's a different kind of respect you have for each other? I've gone and helped out people in dark moments. I've had people come help me in dark moments. And sometimes it's when I'm in the dirtiest, darkest season in my head or in my life that a friend shows up in a way that he wasn't before. We all need friends for the dirt. Anybody can say they're your friend when everything's nice and clean. But don't we need people that are going to ride or die with us? 
No, we need people that are going to be there for us, whether we're in full agreement, whether we vote the same way, whether we agree on everything. As Christians, we know we need each other. As I said this last week, but one day Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in Christianity, in a sense? And he says, oh, well, you know, the Old Testament says love God. And the second commandment is just like the first, love your neighbor. And so Jesus says, you want to be a good Christian, here's what you do. Love God and love people. Have you ever noticed this? Loving God can be a lot easier than loving people. (laughs) I love God. It's just me and him. Everything's good. But people can be complicated. People come into our lives. That's what a season is. A season isn't when things are changing. A season is when are people coming in and coming out of your life. So when there's a breakup and someone leaves your life, new season. When you get some new friends or you connect to a new church, new people come into your life, new season. But one thing I've noticed about people is no matter how difficult they are to work with, God makes it clear, loving me is only half the equation. And although people might not meet our expectations, God says, will you trust me to be the one that meets your expectations? No matter how low life gets or what goes wrong or what people say or what people think, we need some people in our corner that just say, I'm with you even in the dirty times. I'm, I'm with you even when you're not yourself. I'm with you even when the hospital visit's not going like you planned or you're waiting on the results like you were hoping they would go or that family member still hasn't changed and I'm going to pray with you. We need people willing to get in the dirt with us. That's why I love the gospel. The gospel is not the story of you getting out of the dirt to God. It's the story of God coming into the dirt to meet with us. Ooh, isn't that what makes our religion different? I was talking to my friend about Islam a little bit, trying to understand where he's coming from. And it's very about the practice. It's, you know, you pray this much a day, you do these things, and you can't knock uh, Muslims because their devoutness is something that deserves our respect. The fact they are so in tune with things. And I said, man, that's interesting. It kind of seems like you're doing things so that God's not upset. And he says, well, yes, that's the mercy of God. We We are doing things so that he doesn't do what we deserve. And I go, wow. Christians believe in mercy. That's incredible. But if Islam is a religion of mercy, I would say Christianity is one of grace. That there is nothing you could do to prove yourself to God anyways. Like my daughter, there's nothing she could do to make me love her less. But I'll be honest, there's nothing she could do to make me love her more. So with God, we do the same things. We, we anticipate that he wants the best version of ourselves. We anticipate that sometimes we need to show up with our track record and our performance But let me tell you something. Jesus didn't heal this leper because of his performance. He healed him because of his position. His position as a child of God. Can I go a little deeper here? Yes, go for it. Okay, when you are in a relationship with God, and I have an intimacy with Jesus, Jesus paid for my sin, and now I'm seen by God. When I come before God, he doesn't see the dirt. He sees what Jesus did. He sees Billy and he goes, Billy Heather? Oh, he put his faith in Jesus. I see my son. When people come without Jesus and they say, God, would you help me? He says, well, all I see is the dirt. I'm not willing to work with the dirt unless you're willing to say you need the help. God saves those that are willing to come before him. This leper is an incredible story. And I want to remind you of a few things about leprosy in the Bible. First of all, leprosy was, uh, uh, think COVID-19 like times a thousand. Okay, in, in, in biblical times in antiquity, you would have to wear a, a certain cloak that identified you as a leper so that when you saw someone walking into the town with this cloak, everybody would just take off running. 
and, and as a leper, you got so used to your illness that literally you had to clothe yourself in a way that identified you as ill. <laughs> can, can I tell you, we do the same thing today. We wear the diagnosis. We wear the problems that every time we show up somewhere, we just say, I'm unclean. I'm a sinner. Or I'm, a, I'm an addict or I jacked up or I messed up. And we front end our faults when we come before God. Not knowing that he's not proud of you because you did really well this week. He's proud of you because if you know his son, you're his kid. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he doesn't see you just as his creation anymore. The Bible says when we met Jesus, we were adopted into the family. No longer does he see just bones and some skin, but he sees his child. So leprosy would have been something you had to, you know, put, put on to label. Secondly, leprosy is like when you walked into a town, you'd have to verbally say, unclean, unclean. So you would now have to label yourself so everyone else knew you were jacked up. Have you been doing this lately? Like labeling yourself, I'm such a mess up. I, I'm such a failure. I can't believe I did this. Not knowing that the words we speak actually create the world that we live in. If you're always saying, I messed up, it's too late, I'm over, it's done, it's, it's done, it's done, and you're always talking about what was, don't be surprised when there's no hope in your life. But if we come before God and say, you know what, I'm a little broken, but I can still be used for his glory. I've been through some stuff, but he can still do something with me. When we come with that posture, there's all of a sudden this hope, this anticipation where I don't have to have it all put together anymore. This leper had to identify, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And leprosy, the biblical idea of leprosy is pretty simple. It starts as something inside. And then eventually you get these cuts and these bruises. And eventually the nerve endings start to go away in your fingers and in your toes. And then maybe a year later you lose a hand. And then maybe like six months later you lose a toe. And, and it's just this slow, sudden decay. And I'd like to tell you that the idea of leprosy is a perfect picture of what sin is in our life. It's a slow, small decay. No one just sins. It starts as a thought, as a justification. Yeah, they shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, you know what? My wife never really does that. Well, yeah, she never says that to me. And all of a sudden, we have time and time where we slowly decay into someone we were never supposed to be. The idea of leprosy, I don't know about you, it's a great reminder for me that I was a leper when I came to Jesus. My body wasn't falling apart, but my soul was. I had had uh, dysfunction in my family. My parents split, ugly divorce. I was addicted to drugs at a young age. And at 21 years old, was living in Los Angeles, you know, just doing crazy stuff. One day at work, had this crazy pain in my back. And this pain was like a pulsing pain, you know? So like most men, I just waited like six months to get it taken care of. And I went to the doctor, they scanned it, and they said, oh, a little concerning here. And they looked at the rest of my body, and they said, okay, well, you have a tumor. You're going to have to remove this tumor. And I'm like, great, you know, whatever. It's on drugs. I'm like, nah, what's the point anyways? And they remove the tumor, and I get out of the surgery, and they're like, Mr. Heather, congrats. You know, you made it. You survived the, the surgery. I'm like, great. And they say, but you have cancer. And that tumor metastasized, and now you have 30-something different tumors throughout your chest, and your pelvis, and your abdomen. It was in that moment, the next week, that I walked into a church. So when, we, when we're designing our churches, we have to, like when I say design, I mean culture. When we're building out churches like we are here at Gospel, we have to keep in mind, not everyone walking through the door is going through the same stuff. 
Like there are messages that are going to resonate with all of us, but there's other times where it's like you come in carrying your thing and it's easy to think no one knows what I'm going through. Can you imagine the leper walking into this room where Jesus is and he just walks in and everybody's looking at him like, what's he going to do? Why is he here? Doesn't he know he should be out there? Ain't it funny how people can do a better job at telling you where you're supposed to be sometimes than you can? We have more questions. What should I be doing? And we have people that are like, you should be out there. Or we have people that are like, you should be right here. And everyone's telling us where to go. Everyone's telling us what to do. Something in this leper told him to go to Jesus. And that's the thing I like to focus on today. Because I think there's something about the dirt in our life, the leper moments of our life that God can still get glory out of. I think sometimes it's like when you're at the very bottom is when you start to anticipate God's about to do something. You know, health isn't valued until you're sick. Sometimes it's not until it's gone that you realize like, oh, I should have had a better love for it. I should have had a better understanding for it. And these are the places that we're in that God can still get glory. Let me give you some thoughts on glory. There's two definitions primarily for glory. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard this term glory to God. All glory goes to God. Um, You know, people come up to me and, like, well, I, I would go up to, like, my pastor, other pastors after they preach. I'm like, great message. And they would go, glory to God. And, you know, when people tell me great message, I say, thank you, because I, I appreciate taking the time to do it. But at the same time, I think you know it's only because God gets glory. So here's two definitions of glory. The first is glory means the manifest presence of God displaying his beauty, his worth, and his essence. This is when he's in the room. This is when you can tangibly sense there, he is here. As we were singing it, my wife started kind of like flowing, singing songs off the top of her head. It's like, whoa, I feel glory. I feel God's presence. There's a man in the Old Testament named Moses. He's a very important figure. One day he comes to God and says, God, show me your glory. And God goes, no, but I'll show you my backside. Because if he were to show him all of his glory, his glory was so holy, it would have consumed him. He, he would have died on the spot. The Bible says no man can see God and live. He's that holy. Dirt doesn't exist in his presence. (laughs) Once you get into the full glory of God, there, there, there is a sense where sin isn't even a temptation to you because you're so focused on him. Like there's times where our worship team is singing and it's almost as if like, let's just forget about everything and sing to Jesus. Like we're here to minister to his heart. We're not here to lead people into worship. We're here to minister to the presence of God. You know, as, as the, like, we just get to jump in with our team. I was so thankful to be in the front because it's not like they were leading me. If anything, I was watching them worship him, and they said, I want to jump in with that. Glory is when miracles happen. Healing takes place. Glory is when, like, demons can get delivered. Like, glory is when, like, marriages get restored. There's a sense of God's presence, and then you see healing take place. That's glory. There's also a second kind of glory. And this is a glory that we get tempted to take. The second definition of glory is the attention, the credit, and the ultimate source of a thing or accomplishment. So two definitions of glory. Glory, I feel God's glory here. The other one is who gets the glory. Because in this life, you will be tempted to either want glory or to give away glory. When you look at just the the, the culture we live in, uh, you see moments like especially like in award shows or like the Super Bowl, someone will get up there and they'll say, what would you think? What do you want to say? And like sometimes every now and then someone will say, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And it's like, there's 50 million people watching and that person, yes, they played a great game. Yes, they've honored the process to get to that point. Yes, they've done all the work. But the one thing they want people to remember is, I'm saying Jesus first. You know, and then we judge him. Is he a really Christian and all that stuff? Who cares? He's glorifying Jesus with 50 million people watching. That's the glory that I think God wants to get at us with today. That's the glory that I think in your life you are tempted to want to take for yourself. My, my prayer on Sunday nights has been very important for me. Because Sunday's now two weeks in, I do, we do two services. At one point at our home church, we were doing four services. So my goodness, like, you know, two last week, I was like, two's going to be easy. I went home, my back was hurting, my throat was hurting, my head was hurting, my hands were hurting, my toenail was hurting. You know, that's another thing. But, you know, it's just like I had these moments and my wife's in bed already, the baby's down, and I went downstairs and I'm not gonna lie, I was eating a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I had this moment eating where I was eating my cereal and I just started talking to God. And I said, God, any glory that I may have taken from you today, I give back. Any credit, anything in me that makes me think that it it was me that did that message today, or it was me that moved those people, or anything in me, I don't even know if it's there, but if it is, I just want to give it back to you today. Because when you rob God of glory, you start to carry something you don't have the capacity to carry. Ooh, when you start trying to take credit for something only he gets credit for, people expect you to do it again. (laughs) I take all the pressure off the next time I preach because I just tell people I can't do it without him. I can't even understand the Bible without him. I can't even process scripture without him. And so it's an easy way to live when you say, no, 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 only because of him. You'll never get offended if somebody gets upset or gets, you know, you'll never get offended by what people think of you when you're after the glory of God. Because anything you do is just to try to get focus on him just to get focused on what he's done. So we have this leper who comes in the dirty moment, and then we have Jesus, who is literally the glory of God manifested. Okay, fully human, but fully divine. How does that work? It's a mystery. But he came as a glory-filled person, and in this moment, we see the dirt meet with the glory. We see an interaction with somebody who's broken and somebody who's fully perfect. Most of the times when we think we're perfect, we go away from dirtiness. And we think, well, surely God does not want me around the dirtiness. And it's like, I think he can get more glory when we're in the dirt. Come on, isn't it better for a seed to be sown if it's in some good dirt? You don't even know the dirt you're in right now is just preparing you for God to deposit something in your life. You don't even know the things that we go through. Yes, they try to push us back or push us away, but I like to say it's a setup. That what I'm being set back from is actually just a setup for God to get more glory. That means the pain I go through, the sickness I'm dealing with, the issues I have, all of them are just a setup for God. So we've got glory, the manifest presence of glory. And then we've got glory, who gets the credit? In this moment, we see a leper show up. And what God's about to do is flip his story and get some glory out of it. Can I show you, this is the thing that God specializes in. He specializes with dirty people. I used to think that God only used put together people. But then I realized like they were too focused on being put together. If you're too focused on your performance, like your Christian performance, we will miss out the opportunities on God to use us. 
If we're so focused on clean and staying right and doing this, and I got to not do this, not do that, do this, this in our Christianity, when it comes time to God to use us, we'll say, well, how, how, how could I lead a small group? I mean, I'm just trying to not to yell at anybody this week. You know, I'm just trying to stay focused. You know, I'm just not to pop off if the bills lose again. Like, I'm just trying to like focus on that. Not knowing like that's a great place to be. Let God transform it and use it that he could still get credit and glory. Isaiah goes on a little bit about this, Isaiah Isaiah chapter 61, and he says this in verse 3, speaking about how God specializes in flipping people's stories. It says that he wants to grant those who mourn in Zion. Uh, Let's stop there. If you're mourning today, this is the grace side of our religion. God still gives even when we're in mourning. It's a grace religion. Even in grief, we can experience his presence. Um, I, I often talk about my testimony when I travel and go preach different places. I talk about how God healed me of cancer. And it's awesome, this story. I often have to be reminded there's people in the room that have lost someone from cancer. And while it's easy to say, oh, well, God can do it, God can do it, there's also that peace and that reality that if you haven't won that battle, there's an understanding God is just with you just as much as he's with somebody that's still here. So he wants to grant those who mourn in Zion. Here's what he wants to do. He wants to give them a beautiful headdress instead. Someone say instead. Instead Instead of ashes. Oh, I could preach instead. Just the word instead. Because we allow sometimes our story to be completed without realizing we're not the one writing it. So you have ashes in your life. That's a symbol of mourning. They would have sackcloth and ashes. When someone would die in the town, it was normal. A seven days of mourning, and everybody would throw the ashes out, and they'd throw down. And What God says is when you bring ashes, I can give you a beautiful headdress. What does that mean? Well, a headdress, just like you think, like something that has some stones and some beauty on it going on top of your head. Instead of the ashes on the floor, God wants to give you some beauty on your head. So from the bottom to the top, but also wants to change your thinking. You see ashes. God sees the possibility for glory. You see a problem. God sees possibility. So who am I to say they're counted out, God? They've gone too far. Who am I even as a pastor to be like, well, God can't work with them? It's like, I'm not God. So he wants to give us a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Here's another one. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And so the oil referring to the anointing says, I want to give you this thing. The spirit of God's going to give you some things that you can't get anywhere else. He says, when you are in that dirty place, I still am going to give you oil. Someone says there's still oil. There's no light when the oil goes out. Where's the oil in our lives, friends? Not, not, not just like, oh, I go to church, but where's the moments where you say, no, I have an authority from God. The oil is the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's the ability and, and capabilities to do something you can't do on your own. So when my daughter's sick at two in the morning, and it's my turn to go check on her, I'm not just trying to calm her down. You best believe I'm coming and saying, in the name of Jesus, I speak healing over my daughter today. And then you sense the oil. There's just a, there's a lubrication to the way you think the rest of the day. Just things smooth, go smoother. So he gives us headdress, gives us oil gladness, gives us a third thing as well. He says that I'm going to give them a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So stop wearing leper clothing, start putting on praise. Start to, to, to tell somebody it's time to get dressed. 
It's time to put on the proper garment so that when you go through life, you're identifying yourself the right way. I'm not just a cancer. I'm a child of God. I'm not just a drug addict. I'm a child of God. I'm not just this. I am God's son, God's daughter. Sometimes you got to beat yourself up with that truth so you believe it. We don't just say it because we believe it. Sometimes we say it until we believe it. And we tell ourselves that there is a garment of praise. It's, it's time to put on something new. It's time to clothe yourself with a different label. What could your life actually look like if you were to bring your dirt to his glory? What if your life, every Sunday you came in here and it wasn't like, okay, I'm really going to do good today. It was just, I'm really going to be honest today. Well, what if, what if what makes our faith great? What makes our faith great is not how well we do it. It's how authentic are we in the process. And I don't know. We're building a church here where you can be you and God can be God. And that's a good thing. So God wants to do something instead. This leper comes and he comes with his sickness. And God says, okay, I want to do something with it. What matters when you're sick too is not what people think. Have you noticed this? When you're in a problem, you often don't care what people think. It's more about what you actually need. And so when I meet with people and they say, well, I'm embarrassed or, well, I'm going through this, or I'm going through that. And it's like, yeah, but don't ever feel like what people think is more important than what you need. What you need is not a room judging you about, I can't believe you're in the club and now you're in church. What you need is a touch from God so you don't want to go back to the club. You know what I'm saying? That's what you need. What you need is not somebody to justify, yeah, you're right, go and do what you want to do. What you need is the presence of God to say, no, you've come way too far to go back now. And so it's not necessarily like, what do I want? What do people think? It's what do I need in my life? And I believe today we need some glory in our life. We need the manifest presence of God, but we need the attention and credit for what we're going through to go to him. Okay, so let me give some truths about the, 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 the Jesus that we're reading about in this, this story. Um, three things about Jesus from this passage. Number one, this is what I noticed. If he says something, I know this to be true about God, he actually does it. So number one, if he says it, he actually does it. Have you noticed this about life today? A lot of people say things, but don't actually do them. Oh, I've got an answer. I've got an idea. I've got something. And it's like, the proof is in the pudding, y'all. Like, let's do it. And then we'll see if what you're saying is actually true. Jesus, when he says something, he actually does it. Look at Matthew chapter eight, verse one. It says, and after this, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Okay. Matthew chapter eight um, happens right after Matthew chapter seven. Deep revelation. And uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 are all what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Have y'all heard about this? Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first big public sermon. Like, you think I preach long? He preached for three chapters of the Bible, all right? It might actually went quicker than me. Who knows? So he preaches Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. Matthew 5, he gives us the Beatitudes. Great passage. He says, uh, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, great teaching. Gets into Matthew chapter 6, talks about prayer. He says, you know, when you pray, go into your closet where no one can see you and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. In Jesus' day, people would go pray like on their patios. 
and they would like put on their like prayer shawls and they would intentionally pray out loud. Some of the Pharisees would pray out loud out front of their patios so that as people were walking by, they would say, oh, look at him praying, he's holy. That was happening 2,000 years ago. It's probably still happening today, okay? So, so these guys would pray like, we love you, Lord. We're, we're not like these sinners. We actually pray. And Jesus says, no, they have their reward. He says, don't, don't pray to be seen. Pray to encounter God. That's Matthew chapter 6. Chapter 7, he says a couple wild things as well. Uh, I'm just giving you context. Matthew chapter 7, he says, um, you guys have heard about adultery. He says, you know, if you, if you sleep with someone that's not your wife, that's adultery. That's what Moses said. He says, but I say to you, if you lust after someone who's not your wife, that's adultery. People are like, huh? He says, you have heard, that, you know, if you murder somebody, that it is sinful. He goes, I say to you, though, if you have hate in your heart towards your brother, that's the same as murder. Can you imagine being a listener of this? Like you are a young Jewish boy. You've been taught the Torah. You understand all the laws he's referencing. And then all of a sudden this guy gets up and he says, yeah, you heard like if you sleep with someone's wife, that's adultery. I say it's in your heart. How does he have the authority to know what's in my heart? Because he's God. He is the glory of God. So he gives us great teaching and that chapter seven ends and that's it. And sometimes I think like, you know, they're going to get Jesus off the mountain. They're going to get him like into the green room. They're going to say, great message, pastor. Here's like this. Here's that. Here's this. Here's that. And they're going to kind of block the way and say, no one bother him. He's recovering from a sermon. But put verse one back up again, please. It says this. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So he didn't just say it for three chapters. He actually steps into chapter eight and he says, let me show you how to do what I actually said. Whatever pain you're in today, Jesus knows what it's like. He's not just talking about our pain. He is talking about, he's talking as if someone who has experienced our pain. What he says he actually do, does. Look at Psalm verse 40. This is one of my favorite passages in the book of Psalms. Um, I was talking to someone recently about prayer, and they're like, how do I pray? Like, I try to pray and, you know, I get up real early before work and I like kneel down in the mornings and I'll try to pray and I like fall asleep. I'm like, well, maybe don't kneel down. You know, it's too early to get on the floor. Like, you need to stand or walk and pray. Sometimes it's not spiritual. It's like, just change it up. But they were asking me, like, what about when I don't know what to pray? And my go-to is open up the Psalms. Because the Psalms are not just Scripture. It's a prayer book. It's a book of lyrics and songs and honest cries out to God that we can pray. And so Psalm Psalm chapter 40, verse 1, says, I waited patiently for the Lord. So... It's one thing to read that, but when you're in a posture of prayer and you're about to open up Psalms and you start your morning by saying Psalm 40, you start talking to God. Here's how I read it when I'm praying. I say, Lord, today I just want to wait patiently for you. Before I start my day, I wait patiently for you. Thank you for turning to me. Thank you for hearing my cry. Lord, I think about all the times that you lifted me up out of the pit. Oh, God, when I was sick, you lifted me up. Oh, when my parents got divorced, you lifted me up. Oh, when I didn't think I was going to get off drugs, you you lifted me up. Like, do you see what's happening? You're not just reading the Bible. The Bible is now becoming a part of you to talk to your father. It says he lifted me up out of the slimy pit. He pulled me out of the mire, the dirt. He lifted me out of the dirt. God loves you to meet you in the dirt, but he loves you too much to leave you in the dirt. He wants to pick you up and lift you, okay? There's something about being lifted. It says he lifted me out of the pit, out of the clay, and he set me on solid ground. 
So he didn't just get me out of one inconsistent thing and bring me to another inconsistent thing. He didn't get me out of one dysfunctional thing and bring me to another dysfunctional thing. He didn't bring me out of one addiction and just say, okay, here's another addiction. He brought me out and set me on something secure, set me on a place that I can actually stand. And deep down in our hearts, isn't that what we're looking for? Isn't every issue we have in this life just a cry for something that's not going to change? Something that we can stand on. Something that they're not going to flip next year and say, actually, we meant this. Or something that they're not going to say, oh, well, what about this? Or We need something that stays the same. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, God changed his mind. No, you did. Because he's consistent. He lifted me. He set my feet on the rock. He gave me a place to stand. And he put a new song. Someone say new song in my mouth. The first week that I had of chemo treatment, I was 21. And my dad drove me to the the chemo room is what I called it. It was about 10 recliner chairs on one side of the room. And there was like five on the other. And, 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 and I was young. So when I started, uh, you know, I was in there eight hours a day. Like I would do Monday to Friday, nine to five. It's like a full-time job. Needle goes in at nine. They take it out by five and just all day they're switching out bags And so there's multiple times where, you know, older people would come in and they would sit for 30 minutes and then they would leave. They would sit for 30 minutes and then they would leave. And after about a week of being there, one lady asked me, she she comes in, she goes, oh, I just, I'm so sorry. I can't believe that you're so young and in here with cancer. And I was like, I know, you know, it's crazy. She goes, no, this is, this is not fair. And I said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. She goes, even more so. And I said, huh. And, and she left, and it, it wasn't a big deal, but it started a process in me to where I started to think, well, if I'm a Christian, does that mean I shouldn't have to go through anything bad? Because let's be honest, a lot of people think this. Like, come to Jesus. Everything's going to be great. Right? Is this me? Like, come to Jesus, and all your bills are going to get paid. Come to Jesus, and Skittles are going to fall from the sky. And I just think that's wrong for us to prepare people like that. Because the hope we have is not in this life. It's that one day God will make all things right. That's why one of our values here is justice. We believe in justice, but it's not a justice that we can give. It's a justice that one day God will hold people responsible and accountable. So I'm just going to step back and let him be God, and I'm just going to watch. So when he says something, it's not just to get us to feel things, but he says it to remind us who he is and what he's doing. He enters this chemo room with me, and every single day for that process, I feel like Psalm 40 became real. Can we get Psalm 40 one more time? I feel like flowing a little bit here. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And then it says, he turned to me. Wait a minute. The creator of the universe turned to me. You know how valuable that makes you? (sighs) Like, you have worth, my friend. If no one's told you you're loved, like, let me tell you, you are loved. Not because of what you've done, but because of this truth right here. You were in the pit, and he turned to you. And not only that, but he heard. (laughs) He listened He noticed you, he listened to you, and then verse two says he did something about it. He lifted you up. 
Whatever area of your life needs lifting today, God has already turned to you and he's already looking at you. The question is, are you willing to be lifted? Some people don't want to get out of the dirt because it's comfier there. And all your friends are there. And it's not the best, but it's doable. You with me? It's dysfunctional, but it's doable. And I just want to tell someone today, there's a better way to live. It's a better place to be. There's a better thought to have, a better understanding of what life could be. When Jesus says it, he actually does it. Secondly, not only does he say it and do it, but if he started it, he's going to finish it. I've known this to be true about God. He is a completer. What he starts, he finishes. I say, January, I'm going to the gym. By February, what gym? Right? Right? We all do it. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church. And then it's like, you know, a week goes by and you're like, that was good. That can coast me for a few weeks, you know? And then we're like, oh, <laughs> that's right. So, so there's something interesting about him starting it, but him finishing it. Because we feel like he starts it and we need to be the one to finish it. We think, well, yeah, he saved me, but now it's on me to stay saved. And I'd just like to submit to you today, uh, uh, if Jesus saves you, he has to be the one to sustain you. It's his daily interactions with you. It's his word over your life. It's the people that we do life with. Those are the things that actually get us to where we want to be. So he knows it. And he wants to finish what he started in your life. The question is, can he have control? How does God know how it's going to end? Well, the Bible says that he declares everything from the end to the beginning. This is Revelation chapter 1. This is also in Isaiah, I think 54, 55, around there he says it. He says, I am the God that declares everything from the end to the beginning. How come he didn't say from the beginning to the end? Well, because we're in the beginning. And if he was with us in the beginning and he's like, I'm going to take you there, it's a little less easy to trust him. But when you say, oh, wait, he's been in my future. He's already seen the end. It's not that he's leading me. It's he's ahead of me saying, come on. I've got something better for you. There's some more for you. You can find some joy and some peace again. Glory comes in our life when we just honestly say, here's my dirt. And I'm going to trust that you're going to take me to where I need to be. The Bible continues, verse 2, it says, Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. And he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is interesting because he doesn't demand a healing. Like He doesn't come to me and say, Jesus, you owe me. Can you imagine paying God back? Like, oh, you owe me, Jesus. So, you know, I did this for you. So you're going to do this for me, right? Like, it doesn't work like that. Or you ever prayed something like this? God, if you do this, I will never do this again. (laughs) Pray that prayer like two weeks ago, you know. (laughs) Lord, if you do this, I promise I will never do it again. And and we think like our willpower is going to like pay him back. As if like we possess enough in the bank to pay him back. No, friends, we are not living this life as a requirement for glory. We live this life as a response to glory. We are Christians not because we want to get something. We're Christians because we recognize we already got it. Oh, I've got this peace. I've got this joy. I've got this understanding now. And it comes not because I'm trying to get something at the end of this life. I'm sorry, I don't think the goal is just to get to heaven. I think the goal is for heaven to get here now on earth. Am I preaching to anybody today? Anybody want a little something better than earth? Like, do you understand that when heaven comes to earth, earth gets better? 
Did you know that? Like when we're singing the blessing, it's not so that like things can stay the same. Hey, you're blessed so you can go right back and live the same way. We're asking heaven to touch earth so that earth isn't the same. Because when heaven comes, relationships get better. When heaven comes, the school systems get better. When heaven comes, the the religious systems start to fall. When heaven comes, it's no longer about whose church do you go to. It's like, we need God. So I'm less interested in where you subscribe, and I'm more interested in who do you believe. Amen. I know I'm in it today. Two cups of coffee today. All right? So the leper comes to him and kneels before him and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The leper is sick. The leper is, no one's touching him. But look at his posture. He comes to Jesus and he kneels. Uh, in the Greek, it actually says he lies prostrate. Like he actually, like almost like in a sense of worship, like I recognize the power before me. This is why like when you're around somebody that's done more than you, it's good to ask questions, ask for advice. It's not good to tell them everything you've done. Let's just be honest. I used to get in rooms with other pastors and, you know, I'd be like, oh, I can't wait to talk about gospel. And then I realized like all these pastors have been pastors for like 10, 15 years of their own churches. Why would I come in and say, I can't wait to tell you about my new church. Instead, I'm going to come in and say, how do you pastor a church that long? What was some of your biggest struggles? How, how can I learn some of the things you have? You see the posture. This leper doesn't come to him and say, you owe me, Jesus. He kneels down and he recognizes and says, if you start it, like, I know you can make me clean. I think uh, there's been seasons in my life where I didn't know if he would make me clean. Like, have you ever had a prayer unanswered? Anybody? Yes? Like, I've prayed for people to get out of the hospital, and they don't. Even in my own life. I'm sick with cancer. I'm 22 at the time, and uh, Easter just happened. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure things out still and getting ready for another round of chemo. And I get to Baptism Sunday, a day just like today. Today, afterwards, we're going to baptize a few people. Um, I get to this moment where they dunk me, come out of the pool, and my mom was there with me. And I'm going to bring that in in a second. And, and I get out of the pool, and I have all these pastors come to me, and they say, you know, you left that cancer in the water. And I'm like, oh, is this how this works? Like, I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, that cancer is in the water in Jesus' name. And I'm like, like, for real, though? You know, like, so I go to the doctor the next week, and I'm like, man, cancer's in the water, you know? Gets cancer's in the water. And I'm going before a doctor, like, medical professional, like, could care less if I'm a Christian, right? Sit down with them. And, and I said, so, doc, where are we at? And he says, uh, looks like we're going to start another three months of chemo. And I go, oh. I mean, what do you do when God is saying one thing, but what you're seeing is another? Can we be honest? Like, sometimes the Bible is more honest about unanswered prayer than we are. We think, well, God didn't heal you because you have been doing good. And it's like, what? That, surely that can't be the reason. Well, you know, God's not healing you because you haven't been to church in a while. And it's like, what? Maybe healing is just beyond something I can understand. Maybe healing has more to do with my whole being, not just my physical body. Have you noticed this about healing? Like when you're sick in your body, it also gets to your mind. And then you start thinking, like, especially if you have a chronic illness and it's a part of your life, like how easily your thoughts can run rampant. God wants to heal your thinking when you're sick, too. 
He wants to heal the cloak you've been wearing that identifies you as someone who's sick. You know, if you got COVID, please wear the mask still. But like at the same time, you know, like, like there has to be something that just like, I'm not going to be identified by my illness anymore. Can I speak over someone today? Your illness does not have to identify you. The things that go wrong in your life do not have to be the things that keep you from experiencing God. God never said, you're not going to go through anything bad. He actually said, you will have trouble, but take heart because I overcame that trouble. I was talking to a friend of mine who's an atheist, and um, I mentioned this last week, but they were asking some pretty hot topic issues, and eventually it got to a point where they're like, well, how would you feel if someone discriminated against you just because you're a Christian? And I'm like, well, I guess that would be okay. And they're like, yeah, right. You know you would be upset. And I said, well, Jesus actually said if the world hates you, it's because they hated me. And so he almost like prepares me for people not to like me just because I'm a Christian. And I think like this person was waiting for like a great like response. And I was like, so yeah, I love you. You know, like, I, was like, I don't know what to tell you. Because sometimes we, we, we don't think like he's going to finish the whole thing. And so it's okay to suffer and be quiet sometimes. Uh, it's okay to not post about every political issue. Hello. Like it's okay not to post about everything. Because God is going to be faithful to finish what he started. Our commentary might help the process, in a sense, get people's focus on him, but we're not God. If anything, I want to give attention and credit and glory to him. And so I know what it's like to get bad news. I know what it's like to expect that God is going to be the one to start it, but I got to be the one to finish it. I want to take that pressure off you today. If grace got you saved, and when I say saved, I mean like in relationship with God. If grace got you to God, grace will keep you with God. Someone asked me, I was talking to someone from California. They say, how's the church growing? And I said, well, you know, first service, I mean, we had like 70 people, second service, like almost 90, like it's growing. And, and they said, don't forget, grace grows the church. And I was like, what? And they said, I just want you to not forget that. Grace grows the church. Your systems and your strategy and your brand, that's all nice, but God determines whether something grows or not. And so you're in a house where we're growing it because God is putting grace here and he's creating community here. I feel like I'm preaching things I haven't preached in years because there's a grace here. So if he started your life with grace, he's going to finish it with grace. Are you following? Let me give you one more scripture. Hebrews chapter one here, verse three. Book of Hebrews is an interesting book. We don't know who wrote it. It has different language than Paul. A lot of people say, oh, the apostle Paul wrote it. It just doesn't feel like Paul. You know, some people say it might have been one of his friends, like a Barnabas or an Apollos, but just, just for anybody that cares, we can't really tell who wrote Hebrews, but we know that it's an important text. Hebrews is written to Christians that are Hebrews, and they have been scattered. Like, the government just didn't come in and tell them they couldn't meet. The government came in and, like, killed them. So before we cry persecution here in America, like back then it was like, you guys can't meet, we're going to slaughter you for believing in Jesus. So the writer is trying to encourage those people Like you went to small group, the next week half the group is gone and you get a letter from Hebrews. That's the context, okay? It's not just like a happy-go-lucky verse for a coffee cup. Like this is for dark times. This is text for some very serious stuff. In the third verse, the writer goes off about Jesus and he says, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. So what Moses couldn't look at we can actually look at in Jesus. He's, the, he's fully God. Like we can look at him and, and see him. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Here it is. And he upholds, someone say uphold, upholds the universe. 
by the word of his power. So look what he's saying. Jesus saved your life, but he's the one that upholds it. He's the one that keeps it together. His grace is the glue keeping the thing stuck together. If he saved you, he will sustain you. If he started it, he will finish it. Well, my own family doesn't think it's going to go well. Well, get somebody in your life that speaks well then, because I believe that God's not done with you yet. I don't know if anyone's talked to you like this before, but sometimes you need somebody to say, get yourself back up, dust yourself off, and let's get going, because he's just getting started. Eight months into this church, almost 10 now, almost 10 months into this church, and he's just getting started. I was on the college yesterday, college campus, walking around with somebody, a kid that uh, you know, he wants to come to church. He's thinking about it. He's exploring different religions. And I just wanted to go met with him. I was like, let's, let's meet. And I, I sit down, like, we're going to have coffee. He's like, let's go for a walk. I'm like, okay. And we walk like three miles, you know, like, like I'm used to like coffee, Starbucks, dehydration. You know what I mean? Like we walked around like all of Fredonia, just talking about theology talking about Jesus, talking about the Bible, talking about the Quran, talking about Buddhism, getting into all this stuff. And I'm telling you, friends, we have to go there with people. We can't just say, well, your Buddhism is false. We have to start by saying, well, what is that like for you? Tell me a little bit about Buddhism. What do you guys do when you're in pain? That's what I asked him. I go, what do Buddhists do when, like, when they're in pain? And he says, well, typically you try not to acknowledge it and kind of ascend to like a different place. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. I go, huh. Because like Christianity teaches like bring your pain to God, acknowledge your pain, make it like real, but then don't make it final. Pain should be real in our faith, but it shouldn't be final. Pain should be real in our faith, but it shouldn't be final. It shouldn't determine our faith. So I'm just talking about this stuff and and I was intrigued because he was basically saying when there's pain, like, we have to kind of get ourselves out of it. What he was saying is, like, when you're going through something, you have to, like, mentally ascend and, like, you know, it's, it's very deep and internal and explore and all this stuff. And it's like, we have to get ourselves out of it. And I'm like, see, that's not the God I serve. The God I serve actually says, uh, uh, I'll meet you in it. The God I serve is say, uh, Christianity is not an escape from life. If anything, it's the equipment and the tools to deal with life. That's the kind of faith we have, not something that we need to run from. But even when it starts, we have a faith knowing that God will finish it. So he upholds the world by his exact imprint and the nature of his power. And then lastly, as I close, I'm done here. Number three, when he heals, it's to display who he actually is. God heals to display who he is. Look at verse three. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately. Imagine the last time this leper felt a human touch. Who's touching a leper? He probably felt like so disqualified from even a touch from God. But the touch from God is what changed his situation. Do you need a touch from God today? Not like a perfect one-line answer that's going to make your problems go away, but just a sense that there's someone greater than you. Just a sense that there's someone bigger than you. The Bible says after the leper is healed, they reference this scripture real quick, and then we're going to take communion. We'll get ready for baptism. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 8 says it like this, And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, 
and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah saying he took our illnesses and bore our disease. Getting a little echo up here. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took on our illnesses and bore our diseases. So in other words, Jesus didn't just heal your sickness. He actually took it on. That's why we believe. Not because he's got these perfect answers, but because he himself says, I'll take it on myself. Uh, When you walked in today, someone should have handed you a little cup for communion. And uh, as a church, before we dismiss today, we're going to partake of communion together. Um, There was a moment in worship today. I was down here with my daughter, and uh, I thought of the scripture that I shared at the end of worship, where Jesus took that bread, and he broke it, and then he blessed it. So I want you to do is where you're sitting, if you can, grab that communion cup. If you need one, lift your hands. We'll get one to you. Unless we, unless we use them all. Yeah, they'll get them for you. We're not going to rush out of here, guys. If you're watching online and want to partake with us, why don't you grab something, cracker, or pretzel, or cheese it Grab something to drink because this is a moment for you as well. Cheese it it's a good communion right there. <laughs> Traditionally, communion is a pretty big moment. If you've partaken of the Lord's Supper, uh, the sacraments, as we also call them. If you've done this before, sometimes it's like, you know, come down. Like, you know, you're, anyone ever had a priest, like, put it in their mouth? I had that once. It was so weird. I was like, <laughs> never forget it, though. It was a story to tell. Um, but communion sometimes can be such a traditional thing. At our church, communion is a relational thing. And when I say that, uh, Communion is to bring us into a greater sense of God's presence. This week, I came in as much as I could, 20 minutes, 10 minutes. I came in here five minutes last week, just sat in silence. But each time I would come up to the altar, I'd take communion by myself. No burp, no band, no church people. Because communion isn't just tradition. Communion is a revelation of what was done for us. So for me, communion is kind of like, it's big in my prayer life. The Bible says Jesus was walking one day with two disciples and they didn't know it was Jesus. He had already resurrected and he had come back. And it's almost as if he was like messing with them. Like he was walking with them and he's like, have you guys heard about this guy in Nazareth? And he's like, they're like, are you the only one that hasn't heard about Jesus of Nazareth? And he's like laughing like I am him. You just wait. So they walk and talk and they go into the house and the Bible says that they break bread. And the text literally says, and in the breaking of bread, he was revealed to them. So when we partake of communion in our church, it's not like so you can feel less guilty. It's not like, you know, a super religious, like traditional, like we need to check our hearts for sure. We need to make sure that there's nothing in us before we come to the table. But at the same time, it's an opportunity to sense God's presence. And so I want you to do is grab the wafer if you can at this time and I want you to lift it up. We'll do this standing sometimes. We'll do this sitting sometimes. Again, it's the heart for me. And what I want you to do is before you put this in your mouth, I want you just to crush it. Just break it a little. And see your life like that. 
Lord, today we lift up the bread. We thank you for the body of Jesus. It was broken for us, so our lives don't have to be. Today we do this in remembrance of what he's done for us. In Jesus' name, shall we partake together. Lord, we lift up the cup to you today. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. Still heals, still works, still wonder-working power in the blood. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, we do this in remembrance. Shall we partake together? Just hang on to your cup for yourself for a second. I want you to close your eyes. And let God speak to you for a moment. For some of you, he's going to say one word is going to come to your mind. It might be stay, it might be go, it might be jump, it might be leave. For others, he's going to give you a whole sentence. For some of you, he's just not going to do anything. He's just going to feel him. But I want you to just take a couple deep breaths here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Many of you know the story of my mom and uh, raised me to know God, but didn't really kind of live it herself. And I fell away and she fell away. And when I was 21, I hadn't seen her probably in the last nine years. Got this cancer diagnosis and she just kind of comes back in my life. Like she ended up moving in with me. She felt like she needed to like take care of me and all this stuff. And it was great. But at the same time, it was also like, whoa. And I remember the first Sunday of 2012, recently got my diagnosis. I'm just kind of numb. And she says, let's go to church. And I'm like, fine. So we go to church and it's baptism Sunday. And we're sitting there and, and the preacher, you know, he gets up and he's like, you know, people are getting baptized today. Any claps for everyone being baptized? He says, but there's some people here, you know, you need to be baptized today. You're, you're in a season where you need to be out with the old. And this is an opportunity to make this a new season for God. And I'm sitting there just mad that I got cancer mad about things, you know. And he says, okay, if that's you, I want you to stand on your feet on the count of three. One, two, three. A couple people stand. My mom stands. And I'm looking at her like, how are you going to be baptized? The abuser used to beat me and my sister, addicted to drugs. It was going through all the stuff in my head. I'm like, how are you going to say you need to be baptized? You ever done that? It's okay. They want to be a Christian? She looks and says, I got to do this. And all of a sudden, my heart starts beating. And I looked at her and I'm like, I need to do this. And I stand up. I ended up getting baptized, changed my life forever. My mom kind of went back to her old ways and today still praying and believing God for her full restoration. But I thought if I would have judged so much in that moment for her sins, I never would have actually dealt with my own. We're excited today. Uh, it's a little cold out, but we're going to baptize some people. We have, uh, I believe, two individuals that are getting baptized, I think, today. If that's you, you registered to be baptized. Would you stand at this time just so we can honor you and clap? Come on, church. Can we thank God for these two? I want to say like 26 and 27 here as a church, but these two came to us in the last few weeks and just said, I got to do this. I feel like I got to do this. And uh, we've had people praying for them, connecting with them this week. Uh, we're going to be downstairs, out right behind Kids Church. We'll give you guys a few minutes if you'd like to, uh, if 
you'd like to get ready and stuff like that. Uh, Paul, could you kind of stand right by that door there? What I want to do at this time is I want to dismiss these two to kind of go and start getting ready. Um, you know, if you got family with you, you can go now too as well. But I just want you guys to go grab a shirt. I think we got some shirts back there. Um, get dressed, you know, get ready. And, and we want to celebrate you. Come on, church. Can we celebrate them one more time? Come on. What an incredible story. Let's give it up. Jay and Rebecca. Paige, sorry. I keep thinking Paige is your last name, but it's your first name. We got some pages and pages and pages. Now, that story about my mom, anybody's heart beating. I want everyone to close their eyes for a second. I want to give space for the Holy Spirit. I know we're over on time, but it's Baptism Sunday. And uh, I just want to give an opportunity for somebody that maybe needs to make this decision. First of all, you can't be baptized until you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you, you feel like you're far from him, I want to give you a chance to know him. We'd like to pray for you to become a disciple, to know him. If that's you and you'd like to receive prayer to become a Christian, would you lift your hand and just say, that's me? Wow, God bless you, man. Come on. Yeah, it's time. It's time. Lord, thank you for the hands lifted. Thank you that something happened today in them to see something about you. So today they put their faith in you. They let go of their own way of life and say they're interested to see what you can do. Start that process now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to get you a Bible. We'd love to tell you a little bit more about your next step. But if you're here and you'd like to be baptized today, the Bible says that in the text of uh, the book of Acts, a whole family gets saved. Within 30 minutes, they're baptized. There's times in church where we're like, well, you need to go through a class, and you need to understand the theology, and you need to go through all these hoops first. And, and, and believe me, we have some pastoral people here that have been doing church long enough that if someone gets baptized for the wrong reason, we'll grab them. But if you're here today and you feel like you need to be baptized, this might be your moment as well. And if that's you, do you like to be baptized today? We got clothes, we got towels, we'll make it work. If that's you, would you lift your hand on the count of three and say, you know what, include me in that. God bless you. One, two, three. Come on, come on. Come on, can we thank God? Come on, can you guys stand? If that's you, stand up. If you know you need to make this decision. These two guys, my God. Would you stretch your hands towards uh, these two guys? One on this side, one on this side. Just by faith. We're going to pray for you guys, okay? We're going to pray for you. What's your name? Manny. Manny, it's been too long. You've been kept from this place because you thought it had to do with what you did. But today, we're a family in this place. No one's perfect. Today, we're saying, today's your day because of what he did. Lord, thank you for Manny. Speak new life over him today. Thank you that what he's done is not greater than what you've done. You saw him as valuable. You saw him as worthy. So today, we speak new life into him. Lord, when he goes underneath those waters, let every sin and past lifestyle be left beneath the waters. Raise him to life today. Paul, come here. I want you to start, keep praying for him. Keep praying for him. Oh, thank you, Lord. Sorry, y'all, it's a little old school, but I feel comfortable. What's your name, man? Dustin. Dustin. Dustin's getting baptized today, y'all. Isn't that awesome? We're going to pray for you. Yeah, Lord, thank you for Dustin. Thank you for the faith to stand up in a room full of people he doesn't even know, God. You're speaking to him. So thank you that when he goes beneath these waters, his life will be changed forever. We bless him. As a church, we say we're congratulating him. We're proud of him. 
We can't wait to see him get underneath that water today. We bless him in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Can we make some noise, y'all? Two spontaneous baptisms today. Incredible. Hey, well, let's stand. I want to dismiss you guys. We'll get out. Our ushers are out there with offering buckets. If you want to give on your way out, thank you for that. Ooh, a little long today, but good. I was going to say, like six months ago, y'all, some of you, six months ago, some of y'all came to me and were like, man, your messages are too short. I'm like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> That's what it means right there. Manny and Dustin, I'd love, you know, you guys, if you want to leave now, actually, before we all leave, go straight back there with, with uh, Bree. Yep. We're just going to go straight back in the office, Bree. We're looking for baptism shirts, and we're looking to get them down in the water there. That's so cool. It's awesome. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, I bless the people. As they leave, let them be reminded they're blessed and cannot be cursed. Let them believe today that they have value and worth. Today, I pray for reminders throughout the night. Uh, Even going into next week, I thank you for a peace that's beyond our understanding. Lord, you can do more with the dirt than we can. So this week, we present the dirt to you. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, guys, we're going to take about 10 minutes, and then we'll be downstairs.